Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. John 20, the empty tomb. Early in the day of that week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, and the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying, but they did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, that other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the other foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? Uh, They have taken away, my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed, him, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where his nails were, where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God, Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet yet have believed. 
Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Well, happy Easter, everyone. Uh, I haven't met you before. I'm Simon, uh, and I'm... uh, part of the team here who helps uh, make church happen and uh, it's nice to see you all here on Easter Sunday, Easter Day, what a great day. Um, if, you, uh, if you were following along in this copy of John's Gospel or if you weren't, um, I'd love it if you'd pick it up and hang on to it. This is a gift to us from you here at City Light North Adelaide. Um, we, um, we believe that the Word of God brings life to people and so we want you to have the words of life in your hand. And I'd love you to follow along with me, page 60, uh, as we have a look tonight at John 20, this wonderful uh, narrative that accounts for the resurrection of Jesus, uh, the Son of God. Um, I've, I've been waiting for Sunday all weekend. Uh, on Friday, I, one of the things I try to do is sort of step into the, the kind of shoes of this time, like when like everyone's... Like, you know, Jesus had filled people with great hope and expectation and then Friday comes and he's nailed to a cross and it just feels like hopes are dashed um, and then they put his body into a tomb and it, I, I try to get into that mode of like, this is, it feels kind of awful. Um, and, and yet, then Saturday, kind of, I felt like I was moping around the house a bit yesterday, um, just feeling the weight of this reality and uh, when the sun came up this morning, I kind of missed the sunrise, but I saw it when it finally came up, and uh, it was a great experience to know that he's alive. And uh, that's what we're going to think about tonight, that Jesus lives. So would you pray with me as we come to God's word, uh, that God would speak to us, refresh us, bring us joy and gladness tonight. Father, we thank you and praise you for your great love for us, that indeed while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus to die for us. We praise you and thank you for his work on Calvary, where he took upon himself the wrath that we deserve for our sin. We praise you that Jesus did that for us. And Lord, we praise you that he experienced what we ought to experience, separation from you forever. We praise you that this day we can celebrate Jesus, that he is alive and well. We pray, Father, today as we think about your word, would you, by your spirit, help us to see Jesus. Father, by your spirit, through your word, help us to hear Jesus. By your spirit, through your word, help us to love Jesus and to know the joy and gladness that can only come from him. Uh, We pray this, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Good news. Who here likes good news? Come on. Yeah, we all like good news, yeah? Um, One of the dramas with good news, though, is that most good news doesn't last, yeah? Most good news doesn't last. It's just a little bit too short-lived. Tran just reminded us, right, we're on day three of perhaps the longest long weekend of the year, right? How good is it? A long weekend. Um, it even gets better, right, if you know, this extended time off for you doesn't actually cut into your annual leave. Anyone in that situation? Like, it's just wonderful, right? Um, this is a great long weekend. But sadly, come Tuesday, the good news is all over. Sorry, you've got to go back to work. But there's another one on Thursday, right? But then that'll sort of dry up as well. Maybe you're one of the lucky ones. who got some eggs this morning, some chocolate eggs. I didn't get my hands on any because the kids got them all. But, uh, you know, if you're one of those lucky ones who the good news was you got a bundle of chocolate eggs this morning and you just you can't wait to tuck into them, they're probably going to be gone by Tuesday as well. Um, the supply will be gone. Uh, you'll probably be, you'll still feel the physical effect of all the chocolate they've eaten longer than Tuesday, but anyway. But even the good news that's attached to more important things in life passes too quickly. 
Uh, the excitement of getting a new job kind of quickly turns perhaps to anxiety all too quickly. Uh, buying a house, it's really exciting, and then you realise you've got to pay the mortgage and there's a list of things to do around the house that never kind of ends. A friend of mine a couple of weeks ago got out of hospital, but he'll be back in hospital in a couple of weeks. The good news just what's well, fleeting. We call Friday, right? The, the day we experienced a couple of days ago, good. But today, this day, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is a reminder that the good news never ends. The good news never ends. Because tonight we're celebrating 2,000-year-old news that is as fresh today as it was when it was first heard, when the disciples of Jesus first heard. John chapter 20, verse 20, I think it's on the screen. Yeah, Jesus showed them his hands inside. The disciples were, what? Overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And in some real and deep way, each one of us here tonight, I think we can have a share in a sense of that joy that they experienced. There are just three words that I want to drill into tonight as we think about the resurrection of Jesus. The three words are these, resurrection, transformation, and restoration. Three words that I think come out of this text that show us and just remind us of how we can have deep, real gladness and joy in Jesus at this time of year. The first one, resurrection. Brothers and sisters, friends tonight, be glad, be overjoyed because Jesus is alive. John 20 opens, I don't know if you caught it when Tran read it out, John 20 opens and it's still dark. It's in the morning after the Sabbath and John recounts the events for us in present tense. Why? Because he wants to keep alive the, the vivid excitements that, that has been forever imprinted on Mary's mind and memory. Because Mary, she arrives, verse 1, to discover the tomb empty. The stones rolled away. So suspecting someone's moved Jesus' body, she rounds up Peter and John. When they arrive, a few kind of strange clues kind of arise. I don't know if you notice verse 6, John chapter 20, page 60. The strips of linen that were wrapped around Jesus' corpse have been left behind. In verse 7, the cloth that was wrapped around Jesus' head, the shroud, has been neatly folded, placed separately. They're strange clues. If someone in authority had decided to move the body of Jesus to a different tomb, why go to the trouble of stripping the body? You know, there wouldn't have been a tomb raider in business back in the first century who would have left behind the expensive linen used to wrap Jesus' body. You know, let alone feel guilty for raiding the tomb and then feel guilty, I better clean the place up and make it look okay. You know, thieves don't do that, right? They just get in there, they get out, and they leave a mess. The tomb's empty. But I think it's raising kind of more questions, right, than answers. In verse 9, we see that the disciples still don't understand the scripture that Jesus said he must rise again. They're in the dark. See, in John's gospel, um, and I hope you, you have it, I hope you'll take it home with you, John uses loads of imagery. One of his favorite images is light. Light, for John, connotes goodness and understanding and clarity and, and life. But he also uses the image of darkness. Darkness connotes death and darkness and evil and unbelief, confusion. Even today, right, we still speak of people, you know, if they're left out of the, the joke or the secret, being left in the dark. And Mary and Peter and John, they've seen the empty tomb, but they're still in the dark as to what it actually means. 
But the light switches on when Jesus appears. So Mary, right, she remains in the garden searching for Jesus. In verse 15, she chats to a man who she thinks is the gardener, and she says, have you taken Jesus' body? Verse 16, the risen Jesus speaks her name, Mary. Just as Jesus said in John chapter 10, the sheep know my voice. And at that moment, she understands. The the light metaphorically goes on. The vacant tomb gives way to the risen Christ. Emptiness, right, has never, ever seemed so precious, so valuable before. The darkness passes and Mary clings on to Jesus. In John chapter 20, verse 17, Jesus says to her, don't cling on to me, Mary. He tells her there's more important things for you to do, Mary, namely, go and tell everyone else that I'm alive and well. Jesus himself, you know, I don't want you to cling on to me because I've got more important things to do as well. I've got to ascend to the right hand of God and rule over all things, which is what Jesus is doing right at this very moment. Jesus is presently at the Father's right hand, ruling all things and waiting until it's the right time for him to return to planet Earth to judge the living and the dead and to take all those who belong to him with him to the new creation where we will enjoy him forever. But in this narrative, Jesus wants Mary to go and let other people know that he is alive and well. So she goes and tells them, but the clincher for the disciples, right, is when Jesus appears to them. So verse 19, Jesus appears through doors that are locked, and in verse 20, he appears to the disciples, and what what do they say? We are overjoyed. First Christians, right, they didn't believe in the resurrection because of an empty tomb, or because they couldn't find the body. They believed because they found the living Christ. I want want us to be really clear today, really clear tonight. Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus is alive. This is what separates Jesus' experience from an ordinary story of survival. Um, So back in 2006, I'll introduce you to this guy. His name's Lincoln Hall. There you go. That's Lincoln Hall. Um, He was left for dead on Mount Everest, 2006. Um, Lincoln Hall, you might know the story, he made it to the summit of Mount Everest, um, and then he and his party, as they were coming down, altitude sickness kind of hit uh, Lincoln Hall. He started hallucinating. Instead of going down the mountain, he started going back up the mountain. Uh, They didn't have oxygen. They didn't have supplies to allow him to kind of do that. Um, He kept fighting with the guides, fighting with the Sherpas, refusing their help. Supplies of oxygen, you know, were critical levels, so the team was forced to leave Lincoln Hall on the side of the mountain, and they went down. They left him for dead. When they arrived back at base camp, they wrote a statement and sent it to family and friends saying, Lincoln has died. The real shock came the following day. Um, Another party of climbers came across Lincoln Hall, They found him sitting cross-legged on the side of the mountain, no oxygen, pretty much naked. He'd, like, this is freezing, this is Mount Everest. Stripped himself naked because of his altitude sickness, stripped himself naked, but he was alive. And he turned to them and said this cracking one-liner. I imagine you're surprised to see me here. (laughs) Yeah. Lincoln Hall went on to write a book called Dead Lucky. Um, And he's a man, right, who, who beat death. But sadly, 2012, age 56, Lincoln died. The good news didn't last. 
that the mesothelioma did to him what Everest couldn't. Now, Hall is like in some ways a survivor. He beat death. But death might lose some rounds, but death never loses the overall fight until death met Jesus Christ. He didn't, Jesus didn't survive. He is alive. Jesus is alive even now. And that means his victory means that death has lost its grip on all those who are connected to Christ. That's why you should rejoice and celebrate today, brothers and sisters. Today is a day of gladness if you know Christ. Because death no longer needs to be the final word over your life. Jesus spoke clearly about this in his earthly ministry. He talked about death. He talked about death and how it relates to us. Back in John 11, he said these words, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will will live even though he dies. See, Christ's empty tomb isn't just about one man's victory. Oh, isn't that lovely? It's about him being the first of a massive crop of men, women, and kids who with him overcome death. And because death is no longer the final word, you and me are free to live differently now. You and I can live now free in the light of eternity, no longer limited by this short lifespan. You know, whether you're here tonight and you know, you've been following Jesus every day of your life, as, as long as you can remember, or whether you're perhaps here tonight and you're weighing up whether you should follow Christ or not, the resurrection affirms that faith is the long-term sensible option. It's true, right? If death were the end, faith would be stupid. To give things up to follow Jesus, if he hasn't risen from the grave, would, well... Even if it only made sense for this life, it's not worth doing because committing to follow Jesus, putting your trust in Jesus, will actually put you behind your neighbours in some ways. For Peter in John 21, we're going to look at that next week, it cost him his life. For John, the other apostle, the apostle who wrote this, it looked different for him. It looks different for all people. It'll look different for each one of us as we seek to follow Jesus. But it will cost us and it will mean we kind of fall behind a little bit. When I meet with couples to prepare them for marriage, which I've had the privilege to do on a number of occasions, every couple I counsel, I encourage them to be financially generous. Most Christian couples I counsel, they already are being financially generous. Most non-Christian couples I meet aren't. In fact, most of them are giving nothing. You know, if you're here tonight, and, and because of your faith in Christ... You're giving away 10 or 15% of your income, then it's actually really hard to live right in a comparable suburb or drive a comparable car or wear comparable clothing or, I don't know, keeping up with your colleagues. I mean, faith can put you behind, right, in certain criteria that are measurable by, by, measurable by this life. That's why loads of people actually refuse to follow Jesus because they're not willing to kind of count the cost now because they're just living for this life. A guy named Aldous Huxley, he's a philosopher and writer. Um, He wrote in his book, um, Ends and Means, he conceded as to why he isn't a Christian, why he doesn't follow Christ, and he wrote this. um, For myself, as no doubt for most of my friends, the philosophy of meaninglessness was essentially an instrument of liberation from a certain system of morality. We objected to that morality because it interfered with our sexual freedom and probably every other kind of freedom. 
Get it? He refused to believe because he realized to acknowledge that Jesus was alive and risen from the dead, acknowledge eternity, that would have to change his present. Even the Apostle Paul, the great advocate of the resurrection, the one who we've just recently heard about, who crashed into the risen Lord Jesus on the Damascus Road, he conceded in 1 Corinthians 15 that if it is only for this life that we have hope in Christ, then we are to be the most pitiable people of all. It's foolish to follow Jesus and to have faith in him just for this life. But Jesus is alive. His resurrection means that all who believe in him will also live. Christian brother and sister, death is not the final word over your life. So that frees us to live differently. Frees us to live exactly how we ought to have lived way back when. You can gladly and freely and willingly give yourself over to loving the Lord your God with everything, your whole heart, soul, mind and strength. You can give yourself completely to loving your neighbour as yourself. Because any cost you bear in this life won't be wasted in eternity. In fact, the only futile life is the one that desperately seeks to hold on to those things that death will take from you. All who trust and follow the risen Christ live glad and joy-filled lives now because death is not the final word on your life. The joy of resurrection, that's the first word. Word two, transformation. Brothers and sisters, be glad Be overjoyed today because creation will be transformed. John takes really great care in this narrative to show how this age of resurrection, um, life beyond death, is still connected to the life we experience today. He works really hard to show us this, that the age to come, the resurrection age, which begins now because Jesus is alive, is not something separate, distant from our reality. It's connected. So he stresses the empty tomb that Peter, John, and Mary all bear witness to. And Jesus is still recognisable. Jesus, he's the Jesus they knew, the disciples. Mary recognises him in verse 16. In verse 20, the disciples saw the Lord, the one they know, and guess what? He's still bearing the scars of the suffering he did on their, in their behalf. Same Jesus who lives now. Later, we heard this, uh, Jesus appears to Thomas, who wasn't there initially, Jesus offers him this. He says, touch my hands. You know, sort of put your fist up my side where they stabbed me. It's really me. The resurrection of Jesus is not God giving up on this world, moving on to a plan B, starting again. It's actually God transforming this creation. Christ's body is transformed, no longer trapped by this world anymore. It is physical, and then it can move through a locked door. Do you get that? Verse 19. His body is physical, but it's now fit to ascend to the right hand of God in the heavens. Verse 17. This transformation right of creation should make us glad, should fill us with joy, because it means because of Jesus, you and I have a good future. You see that the future is connected to now. God hasn't given up on us now. The risen Lord has gone before us and the risen Lord can now still speak into our broken situations. He still bears the scars, even in victory. John Stott, one of my favourite guys, passed on with the Lord now, loving it up there, you know, having a great time. He speaks of visiting Buddhist temples. He says this, 
I've entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of the Buddha, his legs crossed, arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing round his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time, after a while, I've had to turn away. Why? Why does he turn away? Because such a God, with an immunity to the kind of pain and stuff we experience, has nothing to say to us. Instead, what Stott goes on to say is that he finds great comfort in the God-forsaken God, the God who suffered for us and still bears the scars on his body. He's not forgotten us. Edward Shalito wrote a poem after World War I, after he'd experienced and seen the butchery, what men can do to each other. The, the, The poem's called Jesus of the Scars. Part of it reads this. The other gods were strong, but thou wast weak. They rode, but thou did stumble to a throne. But to our wounds, only God's wounds can speak. And not a god has wounds, but thou alone. We all suffer. If you haven't suffered yet, you will. We bury parents. Some people have to bury their children. We experience rejection in our homes. We experience rejection at work. We have relationships which fail. We have hopes that go unmet, desires that are unfulfilled. I mean, this Easter Sunday, this Easter day, whatever hardship you've brought here tonight, be assured that Jesus of the scars has not forgotten what it was like. You can find the load more bearable by turning to the one who understands. Actually, even better, turning to the one who can do something about it. We see in Jesus, we see in his resurrection, a better future planned for us where the wounds are there, but they've lost their sting. If you're in Christ, a follower of Jesus here tonight, you have an eternal future of feasting with all God's redeemed people, a future where tears and crying and pain and mourning and death are no more, a future of basking in the glory of all the nations coming in and all of it revolving around our all-loving God and being forever in his presence. The resurrection guarantees that these promises will come to pass. God has the power to raise people from the dead. He has power to keep his promises, and it transforms us. A few years ago, one of the privileges I have as a pastor is to sit with people who are dying and to to watch people breathe their very last breath. I've seen it a number of times. One stands out. His name was Raymond. Raymond married, uh, two children, liver cancer, just riddled his body. He tried really hard with various treatments, medications to kind of fight back the cancer. He was, he was in his 50s. And I remember he'd come back from overseas where he tried some fairly radical treatment and it didn't work. And he looked, he was, he was just eaten alive by the cancer. And I remember I was sitting at my desk doing some work and I got a call to say, Simon, can you please come to St Andrew's Hospital? Raymond's almost going to die, but he doesn't want to die until he sees you. 
And I went, right. So I dropped everything and I got to St Andrew's Hospital. He was barely hanging on. His wife was there, his children were there, holding his hands. And I'm just an ordinary guy, right? I don't have any magical powers over death. I just sat next to him, I sat with the family and we read John 14 together. Don't be anxious, do not be afraid. I'll go before you, I've got a, there's a house up there that I've prepared, there's a room for you. Just trust me. In Raymond's eyes at that moment, I've never seen, like he, you could just see him looking at his saviour. And, and it was remarkable. And, and then at that moment, he, he just... He said, it's time to go. And he died. He went to death confident, right? Confident. Because he knew Jesus. And his family are gathered there and it's desperately sad because they've lost their husband, they've lost their dad. But because his wife and children love Jesus as well, they'll see him again. It transforms death. Transformation of creation in Jesus' body allows us to face our own death with confidence. There is a better future. The best is yet to come. If you've come here tonight to this day of joy, struggling or feeling weighed down by whatever it might be, be glad because the transformation of creation means that you have a good future. Joy of resurrection, the joy of transformation, and the final word, thirdly tonight, the joy of restoration. Be glad because of the joy of restored relationship. Be glad because God accepts us with all our imperfections. I think that's one of the most remarkable things about the resurrection. So in John chapter 19, verse 30, if you were here with us on Good Friday, you'd remember Jesus' cry on the cross, it is finished. It wasn't I am finished. It's it is finished. It was finished on that blessed day at Calvary. Everything required to make guilty sinners like you and me clean and right before a holy and perfect God was done by Christ on that particular day. It's actually, and it's actually how the risen Lord Jesus engages with his disciples in John 20 that puts kind of flesh on the bones of that reality. What does it look like to have a restored relationship with God? What does it look like to be accepted with all of our imperfections? Well, again, John chapter 20, verse 19, Jesus greets his disciples with this beautiful phrase, peace be with you. At one level, it's a very ordinary greeting. It's like, hello. But it's repeated two other times. Verse 21, peace be with you. Again, verse 26, peace be with you. You know, and who's standing there? Peter. You know, given Peter's background, the background he had, having disowned Jesus, not just once, not just twice, but three times, I think you can see Jesus saying something more than simply, you know, when he says, peace be with you to Peter, he's saying more than, oh, it's good to see you again, Peter. After they all just abandoned Jesus in his, most, in his hour of need, the word Jesus has for them is peace. Jesus says that to his failed friends. What he says to them is peace. It's peace, not fault-finding. It's, it's peace, not thanks, guys, for leaving me alone. It's peace, not rebuke. I mean, tonight, to comprehend the depth of acceptance you have with the risen Lord Jesus, 
You know, here in John chapter 20, Jesus accepts his failed and flawed disciples. The actions of the risen Lord Jesus aren't simply about sort of ticking off some kind of legal demand to appease a holy God. It's personal. It's kind of restoration. You know, come back completely and find acceptance. That's a reason to be glad tonight. You've got complete acceptance with God through faith in the risen Lord Jesus if you're here tonight trusting him. If you've failed Jesus, and goodness me, I think we all have, then aren't his words of peace just really sweet? The risen Jesus is proof of how effective Good Friday was, washing away the stains of sin from your soul completely. It's proof of just how wide God throws open the doors of his kingdom to welcome in people like you and me who are repeat failures. I remember a few years ago in church, after this church service, there's this man up the back sort of bent over, sobbing in tears. He was in his 60s, crying and crying and crying. And I sat next to him, and when he stopped crying, he talked, and he just shared with me how he'd done some really bad things in his life, you know, and and it really impacted his family negatively to the point where his family had just kicked him out. They didn't accept him anymore as their father and husband. He was just out. And he recognised what he'd done, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't accept him. You know, and he also came to church and his view of God was this God who was a bit of like an angry ogre in the sky. He was just waiting for us to make a mistake so he could just like smote us. And yet on that day, he came to know the deep love of Jesus that even despite his failure, even despite that, he was loved by God. On that day, he needed to hear Jesus' words over his life louder than the words of his family. And maybe here tonight, you, you, know, you need to hear these words of Jesus louder than the words of your family, louder than the words of your, I don't know, dopey boss, louder than the words of yourself. That you are loved by God and that his words to you are peace. Have you failed Jesus? Listen again to his greeting. Peace be with you. Jesus restores our relationship completely. He creates peace. He creates friendship. He does it all. You know, it's possible to sneak into church anonymously, sit up the back and then sneak out after the service before anyone contacts you. If, that's you, if you're here tonight and that's you, welcome. You're free to do that. I'm not going to stop you. But the beautiful thing about the future of God's people is that we're going to sit around a table in the new creation. All of the redeemed people of the world, from every tribe, language, people and tongue, we're going to sit around a table, a bit like what we're going to do in a minute next door, where there's going to be fine wine and aged meat laid out, and Jesus is going to be at that table. And that the reality is, right, you can't sit just anonymously at that table, hoping that the Lord Jesus won't lay his eyes on you. Why not? Because you're known by him, you're accepted by him, and you're welcome at that table in Christ, no matter how many times you fail. Resurrection, transformation, restoration. I think you'd agree, right? Too much good news is fleeting. But isn't it great that today we can come here to remember good news that lasts and that will never, ever 
ever fade away. Jesus is alive, so rejoice and be glad. Let's pray and ask God to help us there. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your great love for us. Uh, We thank you and praise you for the wonder of resurrection. Father, we thank you that uh, Jesus is alive and well today and he's gathering people to himself from around the world. We praise you for him. Father, we praise you that uh, in Jesus uh, we can be welcomed back. We can have real life. Father, we pray tonight for those of us who are I don't know, perhaps clinging to the things of this world more than clinging to Christ. Help us to cling to Jesus. Father, all those things that we find our safety and security in, money and property and health and wealth, all those sorts of things, which we know will pass away. Father, we pray that you'd help us to cling to Christ. Father, I pray tonight for those of us who are just struggling with our failure, our sin, And feeling like that's a barrier to us being right with you and accepted by you, help us to trust Jesus. Help us to come back to him, to know that in Christ we are fully welcomed home. And Father, we long, we pray for our brothers and sisters, our friends tonight who are battling all kinds of things. Illness, anxiety. Father, we thank you that you promise to wipe away every tear. Father, you promise us that new creation where there'll be no more pain, suffering, no grief, no mourning, no death. Father, may that future reality change our present, even tonight, and fill us with gladness and joy. And Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church, or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.